We're a couple of weeks into the new year, and if you're like the average resolution setter, tomorrow is the day you quit. 17 days is the average length of time that goal setters, resolution setters, whoever, stick to their goals. Now, maybe you've already quit, given up on what you expected to get done this month or this year, or maybe you're still going strong. Either way, on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, Kira and I are talking about what we do to make sure we get stuff done and some of the goal-setting fallacies that might keep you from accomplishing everything that you set out to do. Stick around to hear what we shared. But before we get into all of that, this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is brought to you by the Copywriter Underground. That is truly the best membership for copywriters, content writers, and other marketers out there given the value that you get for the very low price that you pay. There's a monthly group coaching call where Kira and I help you get answers to your your business questions, your copywriting questions, whatever. We do a weekly copy critique where we take a look at what you've written and give you advice and insights and things that you might want to do a little bit differently. There are regular training sessions on copy techniques, business practices, everything designed to help you get better. And we even talk about AI and tools and things that you can do in order to stay on top of everything you're doing with AI. And that's on top of the massive library of training and templates that are there. It's com- the community is amazing. Lots of copywriters ready to help you with answers to any questions that you have, even sometimes sharing leads. Find out more at thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU. All right, Kara, we're here just you and me again and uh, just chatting. It's the new year. I think I've got some goals of things I want to do. You've got some goals of things that you want to do in the coming year. Do I? You must have some. I know you. You're very goal oriented. But before we do all, before we talk about the new year, before we talk about you know what things we're thinking, and maybe share some ideas that might help people get more done if they're thinking about their goals, if they actually made resolutions, if they have a word of the year, any of that stuff. Let's just uh, do a couple warm up questions. Uh, to I want to find out a, a couple more things about you. Even though we've been working together for six or seven years, it's hard to believe there are still things I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I guess we can always dive deeper in our relationship. Here we go. So first question, when's the last time you were really, really scared? I mean, how scared are are we talking? Let's... That's a good question because as I was thinking about this, you know, I was thinking the only time I am really terrified is in my dreams. I'm not sure that there's yeah. anything that like terrifies me that much in real life. But from my answer, I was thinking, okay, if I take away dreams um, where, you know, the bad guys are always trying to kill me or, you know, chasing me or do whatever. But um, when we were in New Orleans last year for our retreat with the think tank, there was a tornado warning and the tornado sirens went off at the hotel I was at, or that it wasn't was even a hotel. I yeah, I think it was before you got there. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been in one tornado before. I live in Salt Lake, so there's not a lot of tornadoes that come through here. The last tornado in Salt Lake City, I think, was like in 1998. Uh, so, like, literally 25 years ago. Um, so, hearing the sirens, the, the trees, like, banging against the windows in the place that I was staying you know, looking around, it was a wooden structure. It wasn't like, you know, there was a brick wall or anything. And the tornado actually did touch down about a mile away from where I was staying. So I'm not sure that I was terrified, but it's one of those times when that happened. And I'm looking around thinking, 
I'm not sure what to do in this situation because it was so unfamiliar and so different from, from you know, if there was an earthquake, I know exactly what to do because we have those occasionally in Salt Lake. We don't have tornadoes. So what did you do? Uh, well, I, for a while I stood inside like, the bathroom, you know, they, I, I know they say get inside a, a bathtub or whatever. I'm not sure that it would have saved me though. Cause like I said, it was a, this wooden structure, but I kind of got into the middle and I was, I didn't actually get into the bathtub. Uh, but I was like there, like if the roof started coming off that I could jump in, you know? And so I just kind of sat there for 15 or 20 minutes uh, <laughs> waiting for something to happen. I don't, I don't know. So yeah, that's maybe the last time I was kind of scared or freaked out about something that I can really think of. Yeah. Um, I missed that. I guess I'm, not bummed that I, I missed that completely. And I arrived, I guess, the next day in New Orleans. Uh, that reminds me of when I was in Bali. I guess, I don't know if this was 2019 with my family and that I experienced my first earthquake there. And that was terrifying, right? It's like, that's not something I've been exposed to. I've only heard about it. And when the ground is shaking and you're in a hotel and we weren't up that high, but it was that same feeling of like, oh, wait, what What are we supposed to do? And I did the opposite of what you're supposed to do. You're. N I ran out and got the kids out and we carried them out and you're not supposed to do that. So good to know. But it was just disorienting when it's something that you're not familiar with. I wasn't, I should have been more prepared for it, but um, that was terrifying. Um, so that would be one. And then also recently, Ezra almost chopped his fingers off. So he ran into the house. He was fiddling with the garage door, which is an old metal garage door. And I guess somehow his hand, like his fingers got lodged in there and then it slammed down and he just ran into the house and was like screaming for me and was just, he didn't want to look at his fingers because he thought they were gone. Oof. So he wanted me to do it to see if they were still there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's when I realized that I could never be a doctor or a nurse. And I, I just, I can't handle those situations at all. But I thought he actually w would be missing his fingers. They were fine. They were just bruised. So he survived. Um, but I just don't do well with missing body parts. Like so, I'm not your go-to person in that situation. Just don't come to me. I think in most couples, one person has to be the person that's responsible, like is the one that deals with like broken bones or, or is at least calm when things happen yeah. and the yeah. other person can kind of freak out. Are you the freak out partner? I think I'm calm. I just don't, I just can't handle blood. So I'm, I'm calm and I, I don't even think I'm that calm. So I don't think either of us are calm. So we're kind of, you're the, you're a bad mix when it comes it's to just a bad mix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, I mean, I read, I guess I read a lot of pretty dark books about real life that scare me frequently. It's just kind of my, how I operate in life. Like I read one book every week that just terrifies me and it's not fiction. So I'm the regular, I'm just kind of scared about many different things, but I also like, that's just how I function. I kind of allows me to stay present, um, it allows me to feel kind of grateful for what I have when I'm constantly scaring myself with the future. And so um, I won't go through my book list, but there's some really depressing books in there. So that's just okay. what makes me happy. While we're talking about books, I'm going to ask our second question then, which is 
which books made you actually think the most? So not necessarily your favorite books, not necessarily the best books that you've read, but the books that have maybe changed the way that you think about something. Yeah, why don't you go first? Well, I have uh, a couple. Um, when I was doing my MBA, somebody introduced me to a book called The Opposable Mind by Roger Martin. He was the business school dean uh, at a couple of different universities, maybe Dartmouth, if I'm not mistaken, or, or uh, University of Toronto. I can't remember. Maybe both. Um, but The Opposable Mind is a book that really changed the way that uh, I started thinking about brainstorming and uh, coming up with ideas. Uh, it lays out an entire framework for doing it. It's a really uh, interesting. It's pretty easy to read, but it's one of those books where after I read it, I'm just like, okay, this has definitely changed the way that I'm thinking about you know, business, or I'm thinking about life, or um, I've heard other people recommend a book called Thinking in Systems that uh, maybe does something similar. Uh, I haven't read that book, but um, yeah. So Opposable Mind is my number one. Uh, on a podcast interview that we had with Jerisha Hawk, which we actually just reshared a couple weeks ago, she talked about The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. I went out and bought that book and read it and agree. It's the it asks so many questions to get you thinking about business. And so, again, kind of changed my approach to the way that I think about the things that I do at work and what I'm trying to build. So that's a, a second option. And then a third option uh, is a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years by Donald Miller. He wrote this before he was the story brand guy. Uh, and it's a book all about uh, the stage that you're living your life on. And are you living the kind of life that somebody would want to make a movie out of? And if not, what do you need to do to make it interesting enough that people will actually sit down and watch you for two hours do the stuff that you do? It's a really good book. It, it actually was one of the catalysts for my wife and I taking our family to live in Europe for almost a year. And as we read that book, we're just like, okay, yeah, we want to change the stage of our life a little bit. And we want to provide the kinds of experiences that would be out of the ordinary and different and create some different interactions with our family. So those three books... Uh, are the ones that, as I was thinking about this question, came to mind really, really quickly. What about you? I'm looking up the title of one of them. Right really quickly. <laughs> um, wait, so what was the name of the book that made you move and decide to... It's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and it's by Donald Miller. He's, he's famous now for story brand uh, and that framework, but before he got into marketing, he wrote a bunch of books in the Christian market, and then somebody somebody optioned one of his books to turn into a movie and they showed up at his house to start writing the script. And they basically said, we need to invent a better character than Don Miller because Don Miller is boring. I'm, I'm <gasps> kind of par paraphrasing this a little bit, but More insulting. And that, yeah, that, that kind of started him thinking, okay, wait, what kind of a life isn't boring? What do you have to do? And then he talks about some of the things that he changes he made in his life and some adventures and experiences. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a really interesting book about, Again, the, the stage that you live on, the experiences that you're having, the, the people that are in the cast of your movie, so to speak. Wow. That's not, I, that's, I mean, they all sound good, but I definitely want to read that uh, sooner rather than later. I don't love a lot of Donald Miller's books, but this yeah. one is fantastic. It's really Okay. Good. I'm going to get that one. Uh, okay. So mine, um, I have three. They're re relatively recent. I'm not great at pulling books from you know years back. So... One is a recent read by, by Meg Wheatley, 
it's Who Do We Choose to Be? And it's a leadership book, but it's it's kind of you know set up as a leadership book, but it's about many different topics, history and climate and energy. And it's, um, you know, has some Buddhism in it. And it's just kind of this really nice uh, combination of elements, but it's really about how you want to live your life. And she is someone I deeply admire as an elder. And so that's a book that changed the way I think about how I'm showing up in my own life and kind of what I want to give time to and how I want to operate in the world. Um, so that was a recent influence. Another one is by Jem Bendel, and it his is called Breaking Together. And that's another recent one that I, it's, it's one that is dense, and I have to actually go through a couple sections again, but it's changed the way I think about our financial systems. And that's something that um, I've always kind of struggled to understand, you know, the global financial system. It's not an area I specialize in, but it's something that I want to understand because obviously it plays a really big role in all of our lives. And so um, the way that Jem kind of talks about energy and our energy usage and systems at a larger level and, um, and our monetary systems was very eye-opening to me. So that's a book that has influenced me more recently. And, you know, it was one of the ones I was like nudging my husband to read because I was like, hey, we need to be on the same page. I need you to read this book so we can talk about this book, which I do often with him. And um, I don't so know. if you read if you read that book, are you like building a shelter, uh, you know, stocking up on end of the world kinds of foodstuffs? Like what was the big takeaway there? You know, I'm kind of always like slowly building and collecting cans, canned goods, just kind of like easing into it. So I'm not like a full on survivalist and I'm not like one of the crazy people, but like I'm just kind of incrementally adding to it and then um, dragging Ezra into it where I'm like, we need more storage for all the cans and I need to start foraging. So I think I'm just like easing into it right now. But a lot of what Meg Wheatley talks about is just how to live a really great life where you're contributing to your community so that you don't become kind of the um, possibly like crazy person who's building a bunker. And I mean, nothing wrong with that. So if you are doing that, that's cool. But you can really focus on what you can do to contribute to other people and um, how you can really focus on positive actions that aren't necessarily about just, you know, end of world and like end of times, but it's more positive. So there's a combination here of influences and 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 books right now that I'm kind of just sorting through for fun, but Jem is definitely well backed in science and um, and his background with institutions and academics. Like it's a very interesting book um, that's research backed. So that's a good one to read and check out if you want to understand more systems and how they work together. And then the last one that influenced me when I was pregnant, I think it's when I was pregnant with Homer, was by Sarah Wilson, and I love Sarah Wilson. She actually is a podcaster and author um, who I follow closely and I end up following these other authors through her podcast. And so her book is This One Wild and Precious Life, which has been out for a couple years now, but that was one that really settled in with me when um, I first read her book a couple years ago. So that's worth checking out if you haven't already. 
couple to add to my list. What, oh, one last one um, that is well known, but I think it's worth mentioning: "Quiet" by Susan Cain. I just have to mention that one because that was, a, you know, that definitely blew my mind when you don't necessarily have the language to describe how you felt since you were a child as an introvert. And all of a sudden someone gives you this language and says, this is, you know, maybe you are this. And if you are, it's normal. And this is what that means. And this is how you can operate in the world. I mean, that was just so transformative to finally be like, oh, I'm an introvert. That's why I do the things the way I do them. And I'm not a total weirdo. That's just how we operate. So that was a big book for many of us. I love that book. I felt the same way. It's one of those books where you sort of start reading and it's like, oh, wait a second. This explains a lot, maybe everything in a lot of ways. And I've heard good things about her more recent book, which is called Bittersweet, which I think is about melancholy and sadness. That's also good. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read that, but I've heard good things. That's also a good one. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't make the same splash as quiet, but it was still, yeah, still worth reading. Okay. Uh, maybe a slightly more fun question. For <laughs> Wait, was that not fun? <laughs> <laughs> Cupcakes, sheet cake, or round cake? Okay. So I will go with Texas sheet cake, which I used to make at a restaurant I worked at. And I love Caroline's seven layer caramel cake. Okay. What's that? Um, you can order it, Rob. Maybe I'll send you one. Wait, you can order. Wait, yeah, it's... she can ship it to you from South Carolina, and um, it's delicious and amazing. And I wish we had that in Maine. But if you ever want a taste of it and you want to keep Caroline's business going, you can order it, and she will ship it to you, and it will taste fresh. Uh, maybe not super environmentally friendly to ship <laughs> a cake to Salt Lake City, but it's delicious. So if you haven't tried Caroline's cakes, she has a bunch of different ones. If you don't want the caramel one. Well, it sounds it sound like one of my favorite desserts is sticky toffee pudding, uh, which is kind of an English dessert. It's hard to find here in the States unless you make it yourself, but it sounds sort of similar to, to that, the toffee slash caramel taste. So yeah, you'll like I'm it. Guessing I would, I'd probably like it. Yeah. What about you? What's your... Um, I think cake is a waste of time when it comes to desserts. I think... And I'm not uh, going to send you my yeah, Caroline's well, cake. It's the seven layer thing might be a little bit different, but I, you know, like birthday cakes, even sheet cake. I'm like, ah, it's just, it just doesn't do much for me. I would so much rather have either pie or brownies and brownies, <laughs> maybe brownies. People will be like, oh, that's just like a thick cake, but it's different. It's they're different. They're better, but I am a pie guy. Uh, you know, give me a slice of apple pie. Uh, give me a slice of toll house pie. Give me a slice of, you know, peach pie or strawberry pie. That's, that's where I want to be. I think you just need to try better cake. I think you just have not had the cake yet. The cake. I think it's hard. To, like it's hard to find a really good cake, whether it's homemade or I mean, definitely store-bought, but, um, I think we just need to find you the right cake. Yeah, that might be the case. My daughter makes cakes and they're, I mean, they're good as far as cakes go, but you know, even, even those cakes were just like, yeah, it just doesn't feel like, doesn't feel like the food for me. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna, Hard to explain. I'm going to send you a cake and you have to just give it a try. We'll give it, we'll, we'll see what we can do. So, okay. So as we move maybe more to our main discussion, uh, I think we had a conversation or similar conversation about a year ago about like choosing a word of the year, or goals, resolutions. Have you, have you got goals, no. resolutions, things that you're working towards this year, Kira? No, I don't. I'm not working towards anything. Let's talk about that. This is all you're going to get from me. This is it. Um, 
I think we should go back to last year's episode and just listen and see what what did we say? Did we do the thing we said we were going to do? I think that would be interesting because I bet I don't remember what I said. Do you remember what you said? I don't. I think I think I remember saying that uh, I don't really choose a word of the year, uh, but that if I were going to choose one, it would be growth, um, which is you know. And a word that's, you know, there's lots of ways to look at growth. Uh, I feel like I've had a lot of personal growth over the last year, learning that kind of thing. Um, I didn't necessarily grow my business this year. Um, you know, the copywriter club has stayed about the same as it's been, you know, so, uh, growth financially though, you're talking about financially, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, but there are things that we've done with the copywriter club that, uh, you know, grown in different ways. We've introduced a bunch of new products and, and like the AI podcast. So, um, I, I think if I were going back, that's what I was talking about. Um, but not necessarily specific goals or resolutions. Um, and again, I don't really have a word, you know, word of the year. Uh, you know, I'm just thinking it's like, you know, it's probably just the stuff that I fall back on normally if I were going to have one. And that's just, I want to get better at the things that I do. So better. Okay, so that, <laughs> better could be your word. How come you chose not? How come you chose not to do resolutions this year? Um, I I might get to them for February first. And what I found, even talking to copywriters today in our think tank, like half of them, you know, mentioned that they haven't set resolutions yet. Like they're still kind of dealing with holiday stuff and kind of still easing back in, which is normal back into the year. Um, even though you know we're second week into the year, I feel like I feel the same. I just feel like it takes a while to really kind of figure out and take time to create the plan. I've actually helped a lot of other people create their plans. So I'm great at helping others create very strategic and detailed plans. And therefore, for myself, I uh, go the opposite direction. But um, I guess all to say, I am kind of just moving by a couple different rules that I've made for myself. And I've shared this with you already. But the first rule is just to do one hard thing every week, just one, one time a week, do a hard thing. And I know, you know, I know what hard things are for me. Um, they are different for everyone, but we all know the hard things and it could be like a hard conversation. It could be doing the thing that's been on your to-do list for six months or six years. Um, it could be like finally doing that exercise or project or whatever it is. So I've got lots of those things. And so every day seemed like a bit much doing one a month seemed like it wasn't enough, but I like the cadence of every week, just kind of being really clear on what's happening next week. Like what is my hard thing for next week? And that will just help me kind of get some traction and it's more behavior focused. So I think that's where the tiny habits, um, work that I've done really shows up as I'm just more focused on behaviors right now. And the other behavior and the other rule I made for myself is to, move my body for 20 minutes every day. And if I do more than that, great. But 20 minutes is the baseline and it sounds easy, but it's not. <laughs> and just finding the time to do that is tricky. And so um, that I'm kind of sticking with the basics for January and then I'll see how it evolves from there and you know, maybe create a more elaborate plan if I'm inspired to do that. I usually do a lot of that around my birthday time in March. So March is kind of like my year start where I really dig a lot deeper and have space to do that. 
Yeah. When you take that approach, you avoid the problem that a lot of people have. And that is, you know, most people give up on their resolutions by the 17th of January. So depending on when this episode actually goes live, that's either tomorrow or it happened last week. And, you know, so most people have already given up on their resolutions without <laughs> having made any resolutions. You're not among that group of people, which is good. But, uh, you know, also mentioning, you know, you, you see your birthday as the restart of the year. That's kind of interesting because there's a lot of uh, science around the fact that we are better at resets when something is new. And whether that's the new year, you know, 23 to 24 as it is this year, or whether it's your new year, which, you know, starts with your birthday, those are both good beginning times and good times to sort of reset and restart. And people tend to look for those kinds of beginnings to start fresh in a new set of goals or something that they want to accomplish. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it for me. It feels more, I don't know, that just feels a little bit easier and gives me a little bit more wiggle room. I think also a piece of this, and maybe you are feeling this or you've felt this. I know other writers I've talked to have, but I also just realized I got really burnt out last year. And um, again, I know many writers felt that way at the end of the year, or if you're listening, you might still feel that way. And I don't think I realized how burnt out I was. And then I just kind of rolled into like a pretty intense holiday with family, which was like intense in a good way, but it was nonstop. And so you know, you kind of end up in January where you're just recovering from the burnout. And so that's kind of where I am. And I'm just in a better place this week, but you kind of have to sit with that before you start planning and jumping into the next thing. And I'm not going to push myself if that's really where I'm, where I'm at today. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. And, um, and while we're talking about goals and failures, I feel like I want to admit a failure to you, Rob, and share um, one I haven't shared on the podcast because I have talked about it on the podcast. But if I share, if I share a failure, a goal failure, you have to share one too. I'll uh, see if I can come up with one. Let, okay. yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't accomplish all my goals, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to think really hard because you've done them all. I've got one. Um, so I talked a lot about my Ironman training this past year. And it's been such a big part of kind of, this was something I started for my 40th birthday. And so it was really connected to my birthday and not necessarily to the year. And um, I had this amazing year of training hard for it. And like, I felt great all year in my body. I just felt amazing. And then November kind of burnt out before the race. And so had to postpone the race, which did not feel good. I do not like postponing big things, especially when I tell everyone I know that I'm doing the hard thing. So that is something this year, you know, I had time to think about it. Like, well, is this still important to me? You know, I, you don't, I don't believe in continuing to focus on a goal just for the sake of doing that goal if it's no longer important or relevant to you. But what I realized is it still is relevant to me. And again, when I was training for it, I just felt so good. I'm more into the training anyway. So that's something for the year ahead where like, I got to do it. Like it's, it's important to me. It needs to happen and I will figure out how to make it happen. Yeah. You know, listening to you talk about that, I, you know, that I've ridden this bike race. It's called Lodija, which is this crazy one day, 200 mile race. 
And while that day is amazing, and I think the Ironman is sort of similar, like you're there with everybody who's competing and supporting each other, but the training is the thing that makes you feel good. And, you know, we would get off, you know, all through the spring and summer, a hundred mile ride or 120 mile ride, you know, on a Saturday and sit down and it just feels amazing. And one of the, I, I, I really am not an exercise nut. I do not love, I don't absolutely love running. I don't love lifting. But I love having run or having lifted. I, I love how I feel after I exercise, which is one of those things that I have to use to drive myself to you know, get out of bed and actually do the thing that I don't like doing. Yeah, same, same. I'll just train. So I think it's good for me to have a deadline. And if the race is a deadline or like, you know, any deadline helps, I have to have that. I can't just train without the deadline in mind. So that's happening. But I did want to share that failure because I know it was a big part of what I had chatted about on the podcast previously. And so like sometimes things don't work out as planned and you just have to reassess and see if it's still worth focusing on. Yeah. So what's yeah. your failure? So, well, I talked on the podcast last spring about finishing my book and I've oh, not yeah. done oh, that. In fact, you know, as I was sitting down thinking, okay, what do I want to accomplish this year? And I didn't necessarily set them up as goals, but more like behaviors, you know, like I want to be a better writer I want, you know, I want to be more disciplined. I want to be healthier. Uh, I want to, you know, build a more profitable business, those kinds of things. Writing my book was one of those things that just came back to mind again. It's like, okay, what can I do if I can get that done? You know, what does that make possible? And so um, it's back, it's still on my list because like you said, uh, you asked the question is like, does this yeah. goal still support what I want to accomplish? Is this still going to move me to do the things that I want to do. Sometimes the answer is no, but in the case of writing this book, it is yes. And, you know, some people were kind enough to volunteer to, you know, be my readers and I just left them high and dry. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I got a couple Read of chapters. Sort of, I got everything outlined and a couple of chapters <laughs> kind of, kind of written, but, um, you know, we just got busy with other, other things. And so it's still on my list. Uh, it is, you know, like, I want to have it happen in this coming year, but also I understand some of the limitations and uh, it's a, it's a big piece of work. And so we'll see, but uh, yeah, one of, one of the things that I need to get better at is my daily writing practice and really focusing on specifically what I'm writing. Oftentimes that writing turns into, you know, something for a, a post somewhere, you know, in the Facebook group or on LinkedIn, or it becomes an email and I need to use uh, more of that time to support specifics in my business. So that's something that I'm going to be doing differently this year. Yeah, we did talk a lot about that last year, I think around this time where you and I were talking about our books and then my book and didn't happen. We still don't have any books, but <laughs> that is going to change hopefully again this year. I, I don't have a goal. I, I'll publish it by June 1st or whatever. And I think I was a little bit more emphatic about it last year. Uh, but it's, uh, it's one of those things. Yeah. I'm creating those behaviors that'll make these things possible. So rather than thinking in goals, like I said, my, my behaviors are, I want to be more disciplined and there are definitely things I can do there, you know, being, uh, you know, spending more time like with a, a deliberate reading habit, deliberate practice for the things that we do, being healthy or, uh, you know, just, um, getting my blood pressure down. Uh, you and I have talked off the podcast about this is one of the things I just have to do. And, uh, so there are some things behavior-wise that uh, that I'm thinking about. So that's that's how I'm thinking about goals. Yeah, I might just do no goals and just focus on the behaviors and just see how it plays out. 
maybe that's how you write your book is you don't set the goal and you just focus on the daily behaviors. Yeah, it might work. You know, while we're talking about this, you know, there are, there's so many things that people talk about when we talk about goal setting and personal discipline and getting things done. And I was, I just started making some notes about some of the fallacies that get us stuck. And, you know, some of them uh, come from that amazing book by Oliver Berkman uh, called uh, 2000 Weeks. And uh, he pointed out uh, a fallacy around time management that uh, about this story. I think it may have started with uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits, but there's this story of the bottle and the rocks and the sand and the water. And, you know, whoever is, is putting all this stuff together, they've got this, this jar, this mason jar, and they pour in some water and then they pour in some sand and then they put in, you know, pebbles or little rocks. And by the time that they've put all that stuff into the jar, there's no space for these big rocks to fit in. Uh, and then they do it over again where they put in the big rocks first. And then, of course, you put in the you know pebbles, the little rocks, and you kind of shake it and they all fit between the big rocks. And then you put in the sand and that, you know, fits in between all the little rocks and the big rocks. And then you pour in some water. And, and the idea is that, you know, if you get the order right, you can get everything done. And Oliver Berkman in his book points out, well, the, the problem is we all have more big rocks then we'll fit in anybody's jar. Like we all have so many big things that we want to do, let alone the little things that when we tell that story, we're sort of selling this idea that, oh, you just have to get them all in the right order. And the fact of the matter is, no, you actually have to narrow down to like, what are the one or two things you're actually going to do this year or in your life even? You know, if, if a project, you know, if it takes 20 years to raise a kid, uh, that's a pretty big rock that is making space in your jar that means that there are a lot of other big rocks you might want to do that don't fit. Or if you want to write a book, right, that means that there are other big rocks that, that don't happen. And so just understanding that uh, the order is not the thing that makes it all possible. It's the fact that we just really have to drill down and identify the one, two, or three things that we really want to focus on. And, and life is about making those hard decisions and cutting out some of the stuff that would be really nice to do, be exciting to do, but we just can't do everything. Yeah, I think my toddler just broke the jar. If we're putting all, if we're putting all <laughs> the rocks in the, in the jar, I think he just smashed the jar completely. So there is no jar left. Um, he was, he's a pretty big rock. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all, I mean, kids do break the jar and other things break the jar too, but, uh, yeah, the order, the, the order is not enough. Well, that's such uh, a good point too. Like some rocks are larger too. I mean, like a toddler, for instance, which could be any type of project for anyone is a larger rock than maybe even my 11 year old or eight year old right now. And so those rocks change in size. And so you, they, you can't always fit them in at the same time and you have to take rocks out to fit the big ones in. And so it can get really confusing and you're trying to fit it all together and fit it perfectly in and, you know, screw on the cap and it just doesn't work. So I think thank you for <laughs> clearing that up because yeah, that's never really translated to me either. There's another fallacy out there, and that is, you know, the 5 a.m. or the 4 a.m. club. You just have to get up early enough to get more stuff done. And from a behavioral standpoint, there's, I mean, there's logic here, right? Like if you get up when nobody else is doing stuff, you know, everybody else is still asleep, you may be able to get some more things done. Um, but the idea of just getting up early is not 
uh, it does not solve the problem either. I mean, again, you still have all the big rocks, right? You still have all of this stuff you need to do. You need to have that discipline. And if you get up earlier, it oftentimes means you need to go to bed earlier, which means less happens on the end of your day. So uh, it's not enough to just try harder or to get up and, you know, focus and just pound more out. That's a recipe for burnout as much as it is a recipe for accomplishment. Okay. Well, maybe that's what led to my burnout this year because I feel like it does work. So I think it's worth pointing out that there are downsides to it. Definitely. If you're not getting enough sleep, there are health implications. So you have to make sure you're going to bed earlier, but I wake up, you know, 3.30 or 4am quite frequently. It's not every day, but it's frequent enough. And it's helped me just kind of stay on top of things in a way that if I didn't do that, I don't, think I'd be able to make money. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily down on the idea of getting up. No, early I know you, are, you, you know, I get up, yeah, I get up at 5am and I go for a run or I work out or whatever. Uh, and it does, it does help me, but it's, it's really not about the time. Uh, it's really about getting the stuff in, you know, doing the things that you need to do and, and, uh, showing up as you do. Like, uh, so for example, one of the reasons that 5am works for me is because when my alarm goes off, my, you know, my, my, my watch buzzes or whatever to wake me up. Um, I've already set out all of the workout clothes and stuff the night before, like the decision was made, you know, 12 hours before. So I don't have to get up, go through the drawers. I'm not going to wake up my wife. I can go into the other room and just change and go. And because the decision was made, you know, before I went to bed, like getting up is not difficult for me. That might be a, a bit of a practiced habit that you know I've developed over years. But going back to the idea that this is a fallacy, I think a lot of you know gurus, time management gurus are selling this idea that you just have to get up earlier in order to do this. And that's not really, it's not the time that makes the difference here. Uh, you know, if, if you want to have a better exercise habit, of course, you've got to set aside time. Maybe it's in the morning, but maybe it's in the afternoon. You know, maybe it's when kids go to school or maybe it's after a partner comes home in the evening. It can, you know, take a turn, those kinds of things. Or if you don't have kids, you know, it's when you have that business lull when they're right, you're not able to write as well as you might have early, right? Or, or late. So uh, it's less about the time, I think, is really my criticism here. Yeah. I mean, finding the time that works for you. Evenings do not work for me. I can't think and like, I'm not going to do anything on the business at that point. Um, I think there's another fallacy out there. Uh, We've talked a little bit about this with Linda Perry, our amazing mindset coach friend um, who has been on the podcast a couple of times, but this idea that if you put stuff on your vision board and manifest it into your life, that things will happen. And that's, just it it doesn't work. Manifesting is not a thing. Uh, obviously, <laughs> put stuff on your vision board. Think about it. But you're the one that manifests it by doing stuff and getting stuff done. So if you know if you put a whatever your goals are, you know if you put a big house or lots of money or you know whatever you want on the vision board, you've got to create the behaviors that are going to allow that to happen. It's not enough just to put a picture on the wall and hope that things are going to come together. Okay. Don't take away my vision board. I am going to manifest. So I'm just going to ignore this part of the episode and I'm going to continue with my vision board that I have not created yet, but I will. You'll put your vision board up, but you're going to 
you'll you'll do the things that yes. actually make it happen, right? Yes. Like manifesting is not enough. I mean, the idea of manifesting requires a lot of work and effort. So, and then the last the last of the fallacies that I think time management gurus talk about is just uh, the idea, you know, that you sometimes you just need to motivate yourself. You need to, you know, listen to another Brian Tracy book or Zig Ziglar book, and you need to surround yourself with people who are doing things. And obviously, that can have a positive impact on your behavior. There's no doubt about it, but motivation is not enough. Uh, you need to build the habits that make, you know, discipline happen. Like I said, you know, about getting up early. It's like, if I didn't put out my workout clothes, my running clothes, you know, the night before, if that stuff wasn't ready to go, now I've got to kind of decide, well, am I really getting up to do this? Uh, and I'm a lot less motivated, you know, when I'm tired, maybe I didn't sleep well last night for whatever reason. And it gets a lot harder, but because the decision's made, uh, it's less about the motivation and more about the habit uh, that I've that I've created. You should just go to sleep in your workout gear. That's the next step. Yeah, that's the <laughs> that's next what step. I do. I just don't change my outfit. I just <laughs> roll right into the next day. Uh, those are great. I would I would just add some based off. You know, we're running a couple small small coaching groups and they're focused on setting goals for Q1 and it's over a couple of months and we're just holding them accountable to it every single week. And it's been really fun so far. We're still early in the quarter, of course, but a couple ideas from that already. One is the importance of connecting dots. And really, if you did set aside time to think about your end of year goal for 2024, this sounds obvious, but it's really important to make sure your end of your goal connects with your Q1 goal. Of course, all the quarter goals, but definitely for Q1. And again, that sounds obvious, but oftentimes I find that many of the writers we work with have this end of year goal. And then we look at what they're focused on for Q1 and it's not related or it's not necessarily going to move the needle and help them achieve the measurable outcome for at the end of the year. And so that alignment and then breaking it down monthly, weekly, so it's all connected and working towards the same goal. Um, again, it's like, it, it seems obvious, but it's worth looking at your goals and how you're breaking them down to make sure that's a connection point. The other one for me that I have to remind myself to, I guess, to not beat myself up about is the importance of like on and off days. And I, I don't know how you think about this, Rob, but just not every day is going to be the same as a writer, as an entrepreneur, as a parent. And so I have some days where I'm really dialed in and focused and other days where it's a little bit more laid back. And sometimes I might beat myself up over that. I know a lot of writers we work with do that. And they're like, why didn't I get anything done yesterday? I was so, I was so on the ball on Tuesday and then Wednesday, I couldn't get anything done. And I just think that we could offer more forgiveness to ourselves as, as professionals and entrepreneurs to say every day is not going to be an A plus and that's okay. Like we also need to have that flexibility baked in for more creativity, more space, more time to just think or even goof off or focus on other areas of our lives and so that's something that I'm trying to kind of work into my week where there's certain days where I just am, it's just lighter and I'm okay with that. 
Yeah, that's a really big one. I, I mentioned this in our think tank at one point where I realized at some point in my career that if I have a very productive day, you know, I really, I crank out stuff. I'm, you know, even after six or seven hours, I'm still feeling really good. Almost always, and it's probably not 100% of the time, but I bet it's at least 90% of the time, the next day is not productive at all. And it, it's because our brains are a lot like muscles. You know, you can't go to the gym and work the same muscles day after day after day and not have a rest day or not have a, have a negative impact on you. You know, there's a reason why you go to the gym and you, one day you work your, you know, your chest and arms, the next day you work your legs, the next day you work your back, uh, or that you take days between, right, to rest before you work different muscle groups. Our brain is the same way. And if you use your brain a ton, it also needs rest. It needs, you know, rejuvenation or relaxation, sometimes just plain old entertainment or nothing boredom before it's ready to spring back and do that. And so, uh, you know, there are diff obviously there are different ways to plan around that. You know, you only make yourself work for a certain number of hours a day so that you get that rest every day. Or if you have a super productive day, just build in time knowing that the next day is probably not going to be as productive. Uh, Obviously, deadlines and those kinds of things kind of force us through that stuff. But deadlines are also the kinds of things that if we do that enough, it produces burnout. And then that's just our brain saying, hold on a second, I need rest. I need some time to do something different. Yeah, and I think we've talked a lot about themed days, which are quite popular. But even the themed day concept often means that we're working hard from nine to five or whatever those set hours are during that themed day. But it's still like in your desk all day. And I know for me, I'm kind of, I'm tired of sitting in my desk and my neck is hurting. And so <laughs> I need more time away from my laptop. And as writers, I think we need to make sure we're living more so that we can write and reflect humanity more for our clients and for our own businesses. Yeah, so sure. we need more time away from the desk. That's not a fallacy. That's just, that's <laughs> just realism. It's yeah. real. I mean, there are a couple of things that do work. Uh, you know, one of the things that really works for me to make sure that stuff happens, if it's in my calendar, it's almost always going to happen. Uh, you know, whereas if it's in my brain, it's like, oh, this is the three things I'm going to try to get done today. Like if it's in the calendar, I'm showing up, you know, for that meeting or to do that thing. And uh, it takes a little bit more discipline. You know, if you write it in your calendar, say, okay, I'm going to start writing this particular thing, or I'm going to work on this particular project if nobody else is there to meet you. But with a little practice, a little discipline, if it's in the calendar, it happens. And so don't necessarily work from, you know, lists on sticky notes. Don't necessarily even work uh, from a task list in Asana. Get stuff into your calendar because that'll help you do stuff. And if you do what you said, Kira, you've tied all those activities back to your Q1 goals, your month one goals uh, that are going to help you achieve your end of year goal uh, even better. Yes. And that just made me think of measurable outcomes. I mean, I kind of touched on this, but just thinking about our goals, what does work is being able to measure whether or not you are successful. And so again, seems like obvious, but if you have a goal and it's not something that you can measure at the end of the year or the end of the quarter or the end of the month, um, then it's going to be really hard to determine if you hit that goal or not and to analyze it. I mean, as copywriters and content writers, we're into analysis and kind of really digging deep into the analytics to see where we fell short or, um, and how we can fix anything. So, um, understanding what your goal looks like from a measurable point of view, it's not just about 
grow, you know, your word, right? Growth for your business. It's like, well, what does that look like um, revenue wise? What does that look like at the end of the year? What does that look like every single month of the year, every week of the year? Can you put some numbers to it so that you can track it along the way and you aren't shocked at the end of the year if you hit it or if you don't hit it because you've been measuring it the entire time? Yeah. And when we think about those kinds of metrics too, we need to be a little bit careful that the metrics we set are the metrics that we control. So, you know, for instance, a copywriter will say, well, I'm going to land four clients this month or this quarter. The problem with that is that we don't control whether a client says yes or no to us. What we can control is the number of pitches that we send out or the number of things that we're doing to attract clients into our business, right? So you need to, it's okay to have a goal that says I'm going to land four clients, but you need to to then make the connection to the behaviors that you're doing on a daily or weekly, monthly basis that make that thing happen. And then that's really the thing that you're measuring. Because if you say, okay, you know, if I send out uh, 10 pitches a week or a month, and, you know, I know my close rate is roughly, you know, two uh, out of 10 are going to close. Okay, well, if you need four new clients, somewhere that 20 to 30, you know, mark of pitches, proposals that you're sending out is going to land you that. And if you send out those 20 and only three people say, yes, that is not a failure because you didn't control the very last thing. You've done the 20 that you committed to do and it's a success. And I think we just need to make sure we're always connecting back to our behaviors rather than letting the success of a goal uh, stand on somebody else's choice or behavior. And the same thing is true of, of revenue dollars in a business. You know, You can create a program, you can sell it, and if fewer people buy than you expect, that's not necessarily a failure if you've done all the things lining up, you know, leading up to that point that uh, could make it a success. Yeah, because sometimes you don't know if you don't have that data available to you from previous years to know which behaviors typically lead to which outcomes, then you have to just take your best guess and probably be a little bit conservative in matching behaviors to outcomes. And then see how, you know, track it along the way every month, every quarter to see, okay, like I need to really up my behavior because this isn't leading to the type of result I want um, or I need to try something else. Exactly. Okay. So what else, anything else work, Rob, for you personally that's worth mentioning? So two other things I already mentioned, sort of setting up your environment for success. That's how I, you know, get myself up is I have the clothes out ready or whatever. I suppose if somebody's goal is around, you know, eating better, clearly you want the candy out of the house, right? Like it, the same is true of work. If you're, if you don't work with a messy desk, then clear your desk off so that you can focus and do the things that you need to do. So just set up your environment for success. And this is nothing new either, but, um, as you're planning out what you want to do, you need to take a moment to think about what's going to stop you from doing this stuff. Predict what's not going to work uh, and figure out what you're going to do ahead of time in order to deal with it. So, you know, you mentioned your toddler, Kira, and you have, you know, goals. It's like, what happens when, you know, my toddler gets sick, which is definitely going to happen at some point this year. How am I going to deal? You know, and these are the three things that I can do to get around that. Or, um, you know, you predict something's not going to work in your business. So, you know, you, you make those pitches and what happens when, you know, somebody it says no or worse comes back with vitriol and, you know, I can't believe you're wasting my time. You know, like how do you get through those negative things that don't, so you don't get stuck on them. You know how to deal with them and you can move on. And just as, as part of your annual plan, you want to think through those stoppers, the things that are going to get in your way that might slow you down. And when they happen, have a plan for those two. 
Yeah, it could just be a simple if-then statement. If this happens, then I will do this. Exactly. Um, just so you're prepared ahead of time and keep it really simple. Yeah. So Kara, you mentioned a little while ago, you know, you've been steeped in tiny habits. Like, are there any, th- you know, I, I don't know, ideas or insights from your time as a tiny habits coach that will help us get more done? We talked a lot about behavior today. I think for me, it's just keeping the baseline really low, Keep not keeping expectations low, but just keeping the habit um, very simple and tiny, hence the name, so that you can stick with it. Because as soon as you feel like you've failed, we give up and we abort and we ditch those behaviors, even though maybe they were working for a while. And so, I mean, a good example is like, I didn't do the Ironman. So I did take a little bit of time off from my training, but now it's just getting back into it and starting small with 20 minutes a day of movement. And the movement could be yoga. It could just be, I don't know, I guess it could just be dancing. It could be anything, but it's just for me, that's baseline. And I know from there I can work back up to running, you know, 13 miles, 14 miles and doing a lot more. I'm not there yet. So I can stick with 20 minutes. And if I can't stick with 20 minutes a day, then I'll lower it to five minutes a day. But it's just building that confidence that this is, you know, this reminder that this is important to me. I value it. Um, I'm going to do it every day. This is part of my identity. And if you don't do it, it's just bouncing right back in and keeping it simple so that you feel like you're accomplishing something and you stick with it for the long term. And um, you're surrounded by people who can celebrate with you. I think the accountability piece, I don't think we've really mentioned that, but that's critical here. And so that's something that we are doing a lot more of this year in small, intimate groups of about four to five people. And so if that's something that you're interested in and you want some coaching and support and feedback on your goal setting, your behaviors, or you just know that you struggle with accountability, um, you can email us help at the copywriterclub.com and we we're putting together one more group for now of about four to five people uh, over the next three months to work with us closely and to make sure we're meeting every single week and you're doing what you said you're going to do. And if you aren't figuring out why not, and can we shift your plan and can we adjust so that you're accomplishing your goals this quarter? So if I want to write a book, this would be a good program to jump into and you're going to help me. I could get you to write a book. I think I could make that happen if you were in this group, Rob. So, you know, for listeners who maybe don't want to write a book, but maybe they want to launch a product, maybe they want to, you know, rethink their brand, maybe they want to do something else in their business. These coaching opportunities are really big for that kind of a a move forward in their their lives. Yeah, I think... I think you should be a member in the group, Rob. Focus on the book. We'll add four other people. So if you want to be in a group with Rob, maybe email us and mention that. And then I'm just going to kind of like whip you into shape and get you writing that book. You're going to do it. I'll be I'll be your case study, Kira. Yes, that actually would be fun. I don't know if that would be fun, actually. That would be fun for me. That would, well, you'd walk away with a book. I would have a book, but I'm not sure it would be fun, but I'd have yes. a book. So yeah. yeah, we'll see. So if you're interested in that, please do email us at help at the copywriterclub.com. And we'd love your feedback on this episode. If it's helpful for you Ooh. at all, please let us know. <laughs> Would we? And we'll we'll <laughs> we uh, yeah. feedback on this one. We'll keep bringing hopefully what, uh, you know, information and insights that'll help you grow your business. In the meantime, send Rob cake 
deliver him some cake that is actually decent so he can experience yummy cake. And that's a good point. If there's a good cake out there that I've missed, maybe, maybe that's what I need to try is just to have a good cake. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to leave a review of the show. That just really helps, and the feedback tells us if you like what we're doing. And don't miss our other podcast at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. You can also watch that on YouTube and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole so